This is Take Care. Thanks for being with us for a conversation on health and wellness. I'm Katherine Loper. And I'm Jason Smith. Most of us get food from the grocery store, and we know that in some areas and in some climates, that's absolutely a necessity. But what if you could supplement what's in your cart with what's in your backyard? John Forty joins us to share how. Forty is a nationally recognized lecturer, garden historian, ethnobotanist, and garden writer. He's currently executive director of Bedrock Gardens, an emerging 37-acre public garden in New Hampshire. So I'm going to start with a pretty broad question. When we use the term edible landscape, what are we talking about? Well, there's a broad spectrum because I think when we plant edibles, it reminds us that we live in habitat and we enrich our habitat by the things we plant. And that might be for our family. It might be for the chickadees that land outside and the shrub that we planted that's covered with berries. To me, it's you know, that reminder of living in habitat that says just plant anything that's edible and then find your way through a landscape and learn more about the plants that you can use for food and medicine, but also maybe as alternatives to putting up a bird feeder or to um, putting up a suet cake, because there's a lot just in the nature of planting that will attract wildlife and pollinators. I think that's an important distinction, too. When we talk about edible landscapes, it's not just us going into the woods looking for things we can eat. It's things that might have medicinal purposes. It's foods that we might be able to plant that would attract animals and insects, that kind of thing. And I think that's an important factor to consider when we make purchases. So many of the things we buy from garden centers or our farmers markets have multiple uses that we can consider. But Instead of buying a sterile hybrid clone, we can buy plants that are actually fruiting and nutting and seeding in ways that benefit the larger environment. And I think today we've all learned that that's an important distinction as we try to minimize our lawns and plant for enrichment of habitat. We're seeing an upsurge in pollinators and in butterflies and bird populations that really were declining rapidly when lawns took over America. But I also think if we are going to share in eating these plants, it really helps us to consider the quality of the air and the soil and the water where we live. To me, that's one of the most important factors in the return of the local foods movement as well. We we reconsider the importance of our environment where we live because we're now able to feed ourselves from our local environments again. I want to talk a little bit more about our lawns and our yards in in just a couple of minutes, but I want to spend just a minute to talk about things like foraging. If if this is something that's new to you and you want to go outside and you want to forage for edible plants, what are some things that you could easily look for if you're very new to this type of thing? Well, I'd say none of us are really new to this. It might sound like the newest hipster trend out of Brooklyn, but Maybe it was a discovery for some people in cities, but overall, all of us grew up foraging. We picked blackberries and blueberries, and that's the important distinction for me is to start with the plants you already know. Don't try to go out mushrooming for the first time you want to go foraging because there are layers of complexity. But if you start with the plants you already know, there are lots of wild things to forage, but also not just going into the wild if you're not as comfortable with that, but again, planting raspberries and blueberries, maybe planting Jerusalem artichokes and ostrich ferns for fiddleheads. When we go out foraging, there are lots of simple plants as well, like uh, sumac that we can use for spice. And I think many of us grow up 
fearing nature more than trusting in it. And yes, there's a poisoned sumac, but it looks nothing like the sumac you see growing everywhere around you with red seed clusters. Poisoned sumac is white, uh, has white berries, but you can make za'atar um, or make lemonade and spice mixes from sumac that has 500 times the vitamin C of an orange or put it into mixed drinks. So it's having fun with the plants that are around you like that. Maybe considering strawberries out in your landscape or even root crops like Jerusalem artichoke and groundnuts and wild garlic. For somebody who doesn't have a lot of experience with this, you mentioned mushrooms. I'm curious if there are other things that we should just never go out and pick. I would suggest that you don't pick anything that you don't know. (laughs) The great thing about the internet is you can look up things, but it's also part of rebuilding community to me is going to the farmer's markets, going to uh, the woods with friends and learning together. So don't try anything that you have never eaten before and that you don't recognize. But also remember how much there is to forage out there. Where we live in the Northeast, there are so many old apple trees that you find in the wild, so many grapevines that have been cultivated or native that we can find. Start with the things that are comfortable and are familiar, because a strawberry is a strawberry is a strawberry. And those are things we can take some comfort in harvesting and knowing that that blueberry is going to be just fine when you eat it. And in fact, it'll be minus a lot of the chemicals that show up in produce in our supermarket. So really a lot safer and a lot more nutritious in many ways. Getting back to uh, talking about our lawns and our yards, over the last several decades, that's kind of become a thing. You drive down the street and you see these well-manicured, watered lawns that a lot of us have. They may look good, but are they good for the environment? Are they good for us? Well, they're good for the convenience of the mow-and-blow crews that people hire. I think in another day and age, more people were accustomed to gardening and working that landscape that they lived in. And it's convenient to, you know, mow it all down, have huge wide-open swaths, have a company install irrigation, and put down a lot of pesticides and fertilizers. But I think what we've come to realize in recent decades is that Over 70% of the agricultural chemicals that were in use in the course of our lifetimes and our parents' lifetimes have been quietly disappeared from the market because of toxicity issues. And our lawns are a major contributor to that. They're water hogs. And really, for all, all the emissions of leaf blowers and things, it's great to, I won't say eradicate lawns, because everybody should do whatever they feel like in their own yards. But to me, the goal is to minimize my lawn. I put an orchard in out behind my house. I let my lawn be a diverse landscape instead of a monoculture with just grass. My lawn is full of all kinds of things, thyme and yarrow and violets and ajuga and English daisies and moss and wintergreen, depending on the light in different areas, violets that can grow. And really, I can brew beer from my lawn. I can make salads from my lawn. And it's another safe landscape that I know I'm not putting chemicals into to make it a controlled monoculture. And I find it's far more beautiful. It's also more productive if you can find a space to garden in or to plant some fruiting things in your yard so that those things are close at hand and they inspire our daily diet. 
So if you're a person that you, maybe you don't have a large lawn and you have a fairly small space, and if you want to make that space better for the environment and you want to make it, say, more edible, what are some suggestions that you might have for somebody with a small space like that? I think most of us are in a situation where we have urban yards, and I like to plant from the edges. I'll start with a tree layer that maybe I have some fruit and nut trees, and then I'll build a shrub layer in so that I have things like June berries or shad bush and blueberries and elderberries. And then I'll build down to a perennial layer of, I really love working with perennial herbs and vegetables um, that come back year after year so that I have things like sorrel and rhubarb, plants that really I can go to time after time. And they're sort of like my landscape beds along the margin maybe some raspberries and then, uh, but working down to lower levels closer to the lawn area, I might put in a few herb beds and vegetable beds. I think raised beds can sometimes help people work in a small space and keep some order to it, but may, might just be a strawberry patch or converting a parcel of your lawn over to, you know, again, something like strawberries and uh, that will just replace lawn, but also give you some edible foods some nutritious medicinal properties, and also feed some wildlife. And aside from eating these healthier foods, how is gardening good for your health? Well, when we consider what we've been learning in recent years, most of our foods in the commercial stream have been shipped thousands of miles before they get to our house. That means in most instances they were harvested long before they were truly ripe. When we grow something to full ripeness in the sun, it has sometimes as much as 70% greater nutritional value than something that has been in storage and that never really attained that ripeness. But I think also, as the vice president of Slow Food, an organization I work with, likes to say, this is a delicious revolution. Everybody that eats a tomato hot and ripe from the sun knows that that is better for your body as well as more delicious. It's a thing you can taste. But I also think every cup of tea we make from our garden, every herb that we put into a cook pot, or things we turn into ointments and salves and bitters and tinctures, they all help us remember how to work with the plants in our landscape and really how to have fun with the process of being a gardener again. The medicinal properties, I think, aren't a big mystery in the old way of looking at things that the first immigrants brought with them in the 17th century. They would say the cook is half a physician. Basic nutrition is medicinal. It's about wellness. And when we get to know our plants better, maybe we know that the sorrel that we're growing is full of vitamin C or that beets are good for our blood or spinach is good for iron. They're all parts of it. But sometimes we also learn that all of these traditional recipes that have been handed down to us came for reasons that our ancestors knew intuitively, rubbing garlic onto a wooden cutting board or lemon to keep it clean and safe environment, or stuffing the cavity of a bird with sage at Thanksgiving or any meal because bacteria would form in the cavity of a bird, and today we know sage is antibacterial. So it's part of the whole learning process that we get to enjoy when we're gardeners using the things around us. A lot of communities around the nation seem to be going through a bit of an agricultural renaissance. We're seeing a lot of younger people starting farms. Why is that? 
I've always liked to say that the bigger the mainstream gets, the more room there is for an undercurrent. I think we see a deep dissatisfaction in our country, and people can't always put their finger on why, but consumer culture has probably overrun our democracy at this point. And for me, when we have alternatives, local agriculture means we've taken back control from a system that really has almost disallowed organic to come into a marketplace, or that ships things in ways that just don't suit. When we rebuild local agricultural systems, we keep farmland viable for a day when we realize that shipping produce thousands of miles is not going to be affordable with petroleum prices rising and with petrochemicals going in our fields. So a large part of it to me is people coming back around to work with the new local industry. We worry about losing industry in America. And to me, this is what's shaping up in all of our farmers' markets around the country, new local economies that are cottage industries and fresh produce that are enriching our lives and creating new community centers where people can gather outside that mainstream supermarket and find things that not only nourish body, but mind and spirit, because we know we're supporting something that's building better opportunities for our communities, for young farmers, but also for our regional environments where we start to take care again, because we know we're eating from that soil. Thank you very much for your time today. Oh, it's been a pleasure, and thank you for having me.